for joining me on a special Sermon Notes edition of the Make on a Purpose podcast. I'm Rachel, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. This Sunday is Father's Day. Last year, I had the honor and the privilege to be able to bring the Father's Day message at church. And I know it seems weird that a female would bring the Father's Day it was so appropriate because we live in such a world where everything is trying to be gender neutral. And I think that there are men out there that need to hear from women besides their mom that they are needed and that their masculinity is needed. And today we learn from Jonah, whose masculinity was not the problem. It was his lack of it. Well, my name is Rachel. If we haven't met yet, please introduce yourself to me. I'm on the speaking team here at Bayview, and happy Father's Day. And just as, as Rainey mentioned, we celebrate all men today, whether you are a physical father or a spiritual father, because as men, all of you are called up to raise the next generation. So we want to make sure that we celebrate you today. But I also want to acknowledge that there's probably some hurt in this room. Father's Day is actually one of the least attended services of the year. And I know, just like Mother's Day, it can be really hard. Maybe this is the first Father's Day without your dad. Or maybe you didn't grow up with a dad. Or maybe your wife and you are struggling with infertility. Whatever it is, I want to acknowledge your pain and say, you are in the right place. Because church is not just a place to rejoice with those who rejoice, but is also a place to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. And God wants to bring comfort to that today. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. You're probably wondering why a woman is bringing the message on Father's Day. It really doesn't seem right, does it? But actually, I think it's kind of appropriate because right now we're living in a culture that's trying to erase gender altogether and wants to punish women for their femininity and punish men for their masculinity. And gentlemen, if you don't ever hear it the rest of your lives, I want you to hear it today. Your gender is not a problem. Your masculinity is not a problem. We need you, we need your strength, and we need your leadership. Your masculinity is a gift to the world. And just as Satan does with any gift that God gives us, Satan likes to take it, twist it, and destroy it. Because that's his job, to steal, kill, and destroy And we live in this world that yells, there's a war on women. And and, yeah, we kind of do, but that war on women's from Satan, it's from the enemy. And just as Satan has declared war on women, he has also declared war on our men and our boys. And as a wife and as a mom of two sons and hopefully one day a son-in-law, I know how important men are. And I hope today that you realize the same thing. And we're going to be talking about a man who his masculinity wasn't a problem, but it was his lack of it. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah was a prophet. Yes! I knew some of you wouldn't let me down. There is no shame in that game. Every time I read the book of Jonah, I read it from the mouth of an asparagus. Okay, so those of you who grew up with VeggieTales, you understand. It's okay, no judgment. We're continuing our series of being on the water. Those events that took place in scripture on the water, and a couple of those events were in the book of Jonah. And most of 
the prophetic books in Scripture are actually written by the prophets themselves. Daniel, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they were written by them about their adventures. But Jonah's different. It's actually written about a prophet by an unknown author, and it opens up with God giving Jonah an assignment. And he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and warn this wicked city that I will be destroying them in 40 days. We don't have a whole lot of information on Nineveh, but we do know this from Scripture. They were enemies of Israel. They were a city of bloodshed, and they had forced incest. And it was a city of 120,000 people. So imagine all of Grand Traverse County, Kalkaska County, and Leelanau County put together in, say, Buckley or Gron, and that's, that's Nineveh. So it was an incredibly evil city, and Jonah wanted nothing to do with that assignment. So he said, forget it, I'm out, and he buys the ticket to Tarshish and heads the opposite direction, and that is where we pick up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have your Bibles, I will have the scripture on the screen. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. I think that's funny. He thinks he's going to get away from the Lord. When he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their God for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. The captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which one of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Verse 11. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become a calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. They then cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Jonah is then sacrificed to the sea, and as he is drowning, God sends a great big fish to rescue him and embodies him for three days. 
and then spits him up on the beach. So let's recap a little bit. Jonah's given an assignment by God. He disobeys, runs away. His disobedience causes a storm. And then he is sacrificed in the sea and taken up by a whale. And while he is in the whale, he admits that he needs to obey God. On the ship, he said, yep, I serve the Lord God of the Hebrews, and this storm is my fault. But not one time did Jonah repent. Not one time did Jonah say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. But yet, because God is so loving and so merciful, he spit Jonah up. I think the most spiritual way to describe Jonah is he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of a wuss. I mean, he reminds me of that guy maybe that you went to high school with or went to youth group with as a teenager, and he believes in God. He's incredibly gifted by God and maybe still shows up to church, but he only seeks God out in case of an emergency, and he's doing just enough to get by, and it's because he's holding some resentment in his heart, and because of life's circumstances, he's bitter. And that's just kind of how Jonah was, just doing enough to get by. He was incredibly gifted as a prophet. You have to remember, in the Old Testament, the only ones who heard from God were prophets. Those of us living in New Testament times, we can hear from God. We can get direction from God. But it was everyone who, back in the Old Testament, sought out the prophets. But Jonah had a rebellious heart, and he was not fully submitted to the Lord. And just as Jonah had an important assignment. Gentlemen, you in this room have an important assignment. I don't know what it is, but I know this. He's called you to do it as you. Your maleness is unique, and it is unique on purpose. And if you are at a place where you don't think that you're important, I'm going to give you just a few statistics. I could go on for days, but these are just a few. 80% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Fathers absent from home substantially increases illicit drug use, police contact, and out-of-wedlock childbearing for men and women. Fathers overwhelmingly are the number one influence over their sons to practice self-control in the two areas they struggle with the most, sexuality and anger. Mothers in the home give an overwhelming sense of love to their children, but the security they receive comes from the father. Men are both the top consulted person and are the single greatest influence on their partner's decision to have an abortion. And when fathers come to Christ, his family will follow him 93% of the time. And sadly, we are living in a storm right now because so many men have been beaten down and emasculated probably I would say since the 60s and 70s of the sexual revolution, because it was really around that time where people started to rise up and say, you know what, men, you're the problem, and we don't need you. And so now we have a lot of men sleeping. And we have a new generation that has risen up, and they're looking at the men going, how can you sleep at a time like this when this storm is going on? 
We have a new generation of people that are trying to take the cargo off the boat, but it's not solving the problem. Oh, well, the patriarchy, we were in control for so long, let's just get rid of manhood. Oh, well, women were oppressed for so long, let's just get rid of femininity altogether. But the cargo's not the problem. The cargo won't solve the problem because the problem, what is causing the storm, is disobedience. Sin. Let's fast forward. You don't have to turn there, but Jonah chapter 4. After Jonah is spat up on the beach by the fish, he decides he's going to obey God. He does it begrudgingly, but he does it. And he doesn't give a 45-minute message or a five-point sermon. He just goes, all right, people of Nineveh, because you're wicked, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Peace out. <laughs> that was it. But it was enough to get their attention. And all of Nineveh, 120,000 people, and the animals call for a corporate fast. And they repent meaning they turned away from their wicked ways. They asked God to forgive them. That's amazing. 120,000 people. That's like every evangelist's dream. I don't think Billy Graham had that much success in one day. And because God is so good and he's so compassionate, he says, I changed my mind. I'm not going to destroy this city. Most people would be excited about that. But Jonah had a different reaction, and I have that up on the screen. This change of plans, meaning God changing his plans to destroy Nineveh, greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. How bitter do you have to be to say you would rather be dead then see 120,000 people turn away from their wicked ways and be saved. I don't know what happened to Jonah. Nobody is born with that much bitterness in their heart. Something had to have happened. Theologians and scholars, they have their theories, but nothing we can prove biblically or archaeologically. But we do know this. Nineveh was an enemy to the Israelites. And I would like to be really disgusted with Jonah and be angry with him. But then I have to look at my own heart and go, you know, I'm really not much different than Jonah. Because how many times have I been upset with God that he showed compassion to someone that I knew did not deserve that compassion? And that God was good and that he was merciful. Because of life circumstances creating bitterness in Jonah's heart towards the Ninevites, I really tried hard to understand how could he hate a people group so much. And the best way I could describe it, those of you who are around during 9-11, those few months after a people group, radicals, killed over 3,000 of our Americans in one day, there were a lot of people that were really raw towards a group of people that came 
and violated our country. And that's the only way I can describe it. That it didn't matter if this group of people were Christian or Muslim or whatever, there was, we just didn't like them. And I think God empathized with us during that time. And I think God empathized with Jonah as well, that, that hurt that he had from the Ninevites. But God's not looking for people that are self-righteous, that think that they're better than another people group. He's looking for men after their own heart, after God's own heart. He's looking for biblically masculine men who are honorable, humble leaders and protectors of their homes, their churches, their communities, willing to reach out and show compassion to those who don't know Christ. My husband wanted me to add masters of their wives, but I said, no, sorry, babe, wrong Bible. <laughs> but what is biblical masculinity? What is that? I have three simple points. One is a biblically masculine man lives a life of purity. God said in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. What does holiness mean? Holiness means to be separated from sin. Oftentimes when we think of purity, we think sexual purity. Yeah, that, that goes underneath of it. And as a side note, hookup culture is not masculine, nor is it feminine. But living a life of purity, holy as God is holy, separated from sin. Number two, biblical masculinity means being faithful. Faithful to where God has called you. Faithful with your family. Faithful with the people that God has asked you to reach, being present. And can I say from a female perspective, what goes underneath that faithfulness is knowing that you will be willing to fight for the women in your life. That as a dad, you are willing to fight for your daughters and your sons. That as a husband, you're willing to fight for your wife. That's what a lot of women are looking for. Will these men in my life, will they be willing to fight for me? And number three, living a life as a servant leader. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? How, how, how do you be a servant leader? Jesus was the best servant leader. Because yes, he would stand in front of a crowd of thousands of people and share about God himself, but then the very next minute he was at the feet of his disciples, washing their feet. He was a leader, but he served and he sacrificed for those that he led. And another great example is in the book of Ephesians, where Paul says, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. Paul did not call me as a wife to sacrifice my life for my husband, but he has called my husband to sacrifice his life for me. That is a lot of love. And I'm not saying that women don't sacrifice. Please do not misunderstand. I'm not saying that women can't be leaders. What I'm saying is it's just the way it is. God will often call men to make some of the greatest sacrifices for those that underneath of them that serve them. It's men that we have lost in wars. The greatest sacrifice laying themselves down for us. So how do we as leaders 
stay awake during this storm? How do we show compassion for those that we feel don't deserve it? Well, first of all, know who you are and who God created you to be. We live in a society that wants to blame every single adjective and every single verb that you have as a man for the problems of this world. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to second grade. Adjectives. Adjectives describe the noun. We want to blame everything on the color of skin, on ethnicity, on your political affiliation. Or we want to, we want to define you as a man by your verb. You practice dentistry. You own a business. But your verbs and your adjectives do not make you a man. What makes you a man is your noun, and your noun is that you are a son of God above anything else. That's what makes you a man. You are a son of God. God created you unique and unique on purpose. So notice I didn't say that a man means that you get on your Harley and you ride out into the woods in your camo and you go kill a bear with your own hands. Like that's, those are just attributes. That does not make a man. Samson in the Bible, he was kind of that go out in the woods and kill a bear with his own hands kind of guy. But then you had David who was a musician and who wrote music. Jonah operated in the prophetic. Masculinity is so broad. And God wants to use whatever he has gifted you at as a man to bring glory to him. So I challenge you, if you don't know where you're gifted, find out where that is. Number two, be fully submitted. Jonah was not fully submitted to the Lord. And I think it's a little bit harder to get bitter when you realize your life is not your own. When we come to Christ, what we say is, God, I submit my life to you. I am not my own God anymore, but you are my God. And I'm not saying God being in control means that life will be easier, but it will bring a lot more peace, and it will bring a lot less anger. And number three, kind of coupled with submitting, is just obeying God's calling. Like Jonah, you have been given an assignment. You are on a mission, and he created you to do it uniquely as a man. And it's not just enough to be obedient, but to be fully invested into what he has called you to do. Jonah finally begrudgingly in the belly of a fish said, okay, God, I'll, I'll obey. I'll go to Nineveh and I'll let them know. But because of his heart and heart, he could care less about the people that he was sent to serve. Be fully invested. Number four, keep up personal growth. When we are asleep, we're declining, and we need to move forward to stay awake. So that will mean maybe God calling you to learn a new skill, making sure that reading your Bible is a priority, learning how to best pray for your wife, pray for your children or the spiritual children that God has placed beneath you. Being in a Paul-Timothy mentor-mentee relationship. Gentlemen, if you are older in the room, God has called you to help raise up the next generation of men. If you are younger, 
God wants you to learn from those that have gone before you. I heard a pastor say this the other day. Isolation is the devil's playground. Men were never meant to walk this life alone. That's why the men's groups here are so important to be a part of. Number five, stay humble and forgive those that have hurt you. Again, we don't know why Jonah was resentful to the Ninevites. But Jonah allowed that bitterness to fester into resentment, which then turned into self-righteousness. And when we are self-righteous, it tricks our brains into thinking that we are better than other people. Jonah was so prideful that he would have rather have died than seen 120,000 people turn away from their wicked ways and be saved. Gentlemen, failure is not fatal. If you mess up, just ask for forgiveness. And I tell you what, when a man comes to his wife and his children, when he has messed up and asked for forgiveness, man, that earns you so much respect. It really does. Because that shows us as your family that you are willing to be the leader that we need you to be and humbly serve. In a world that is lost, and is sinking in sin, we are going to need honorable men taking up the mantle of masculinity to lead us where we need to go in a world that's just moving cargo in vain, but it's not solving the problem of the storm. Gentlemen, we need you. We need your leadership. Don't make the world that is trying to beat you down make you bitter. Have it make you better. Make it get on your knees more and pray harder. Make it love your family more. And ladies, if you ignored me throughout this message, I want you to tune me back in. Because I do want to acknowledge something, that there are those of you in here that have been hurt by men who did not practice biblical masculinity. Maybe they were masquerading as a a dad or a brother or uncle, co-worker, and they violated you, didn't lead you in the way they should have, and that, I am sorry. And I really feel strongly in my heart that God wants to break down some walls today because I think there are some of you in here that have walls on your heart and you've labeled them independent, fighter, survivor. Those aren't necessarily bad labels. But oftentimes when we're hurt, we'll put those labels on to protect ourselves so we don't get hurt again. And I really feel God wants to heal that today. And how God wants to heal that is to allow us as women to let men practice biblical masculinity. It will mean teaching our sons how to treat women. It will mean allowing and teaching our girls to be treated as ladies because being treated like a lady is not weakness. It shows that you're valued. It will mean forgiving those men in your life that did not practice biblical masculinity. I'll close with this. 
Back in 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, Texas. In this picture, you'll recognize it. It went viral. It was all over social media. And it's a beautiful depiction of men and their strength. And I don't mean because this guy, this is Officer Daryl Heddick, I don't mean because he's wearing camel pants and he's big and burly or because he's a police officer. It's proof of masculinity and strength because what this officer did was he risked his life during a storm to save someone else. He laid down his life for someone else. That's why this picture went viral. And there were a lot of women who were upset over this picture because they thought it made women look weak. No, that's not, that's not how God sees it. Look at that woman holding her baby. That's not weakness. She was trying so hard to protect her baby. And this officer risked his life during a storm, not because that mom was weak, but because she was valuable. And the Ninevites were valuable to God. What he's called him to do, but I've never submitted my life to Christ ever. There's a God in heaven that wants a relationship with you. And if you say, I, I'm not a Christian, I've, I've never given my heart to the Lord, or maybe you say, you know what, I, I gave my heart to the Lord years ago, but I have not been following God, and you want to recommit your life to Christ, if that's you, will you raise your hand? I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Ladies, I want to pray for you first. If you would say, I am a woman in this room who I am struggling because there were men in my life that did not practice biblical masculinity and I'm hurt and I need God's healing, I want to pray for you. If you could just, you can either put your hand on your heart or you can do it metaphorically, that's fine. But I'm going to pray for you. Lord, you know who these women are. You see the scars, you see their pain. And I ask God that you would not just heal their heart, but develop a heart of forgiveness and a heart of compassion. That you would bring comfort to the hurt that they face today. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's Sermon Notes episode of the Unique on a Purpose podcast. You can listen to the Unique on Purpose podcast, iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on a purpose. You are loved. 
and because of Christ, you have been made worthy. I will see you right back here next time.